This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Welcome to Moments That Rock the latest addition to the Pantheon podcast family. The epicentre 
and the largest collection of music-related podcasts in the world. That being said, I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm looking forward to sharing some great stories and some magical moments. The ones that rock. So who the hell am I? My name is Tony Michaelidis, and I spent 30-plus years working in the music industry, and known in American terminology as a music industry veteran. Now, in the UK, veteran tends to mean old, but here in the US, it's kind of retired from service accolade. So although I'm very much the first, I'll just stick with the second, thank you very much. My working hours were spent predominantly as a publicist, but I also dabbled a little in management, as well as producing and presenting my own radio show in the UK throughout the 80s and 90s. That being said, it's probably fair to say that the publicity and promotion side of things is what I'm best known for. Most of those 30 plus years in the music industry was spent running my own PR company, one of the most successful in the UK, and working with some of the world's leading artists. Those being you 2 who I worked with from the very beginning, Genesis, The Police, Whitney Houston, Tom Petty, Peter Gabriel, Depeche Mode, New Order, Stone Roses, Annie Lennox, Steve Winwood, and a whole bunch more. If you're interested in knowing more, then you're welcome to visit my website at TonyMikeLeaders.com. When head honcho Christian Swain invited me along to join his illustrious crew at Pantheon Podcasts, and we started talking, I decided that this was the perfect place to share my stories, along with those of friends and colleagues. Moments That Rock was born, we chatted a little more and decided it would be a good idea to add a variety of segments into the podcast. One such being Way Back Then, where we plunder the archives and showcase interviews with people like the Ramones, U2, Steve Winwood, amongst others. These date back to the 80s in most cases. And then there's a fireside chat called A Mank and a Yank with an old mate, Steve Glum, who had some mighty fine years at both the Hard Rock and the House of Blues, as well as other entertainment establishments along the way, and who has some great stories. We'll invite you in and share those stories. Added to all of this, I'm soon to release my second book, once I come up with the title, as well as the Insights Collection, which are a series of e-books focused on the lessons learned from rock and roll. These are classic moments that rock and that showcase artists that we know and love, It's where you can see how their mistakes turned into opportunities and you can begin to understand how they went on to become who they are. The beauty of that is that they're life lessons that can be applied anywhere and are by no means exclusive to rock and roll. There's even a segment called You Did What? where I'll share some eventful, mainly hilarious episodes I had myself with artists I worked with. Like running out of gas on the motorway with Peter Gabriel. Or forgetting where I parked my car with Sting. (laughs) You've got to hear them to believe them. Put it all together, and if you love music, then hopefully this will satisfy your palate. But enough of me. And so we begin. Moments That Rock, episode one. January the 10th is a day that I, for one, will always remember. As it was the day David Bowie died. I had the great privilege of touring and working with him as his publicist in the 90s. To say it was an honour is an understatement, to say the least. So I thought, what better way to honour him than make the first moments that rock podcast a tribute to the great man himself? I've called it From the Star Man to the Star Brand. And we'll begin with excerpts from an article that I wrote for USA Today, which they published 
on the second anniversary of his passing. And as Sergeant Pepper said, It's wonderful to be here. It's certainly a thrill. We'd like to take you home with us. We'd love to take you home. But then again, that might get a little crowded. However, we do hope you will enjoy the show. And as the great Italian novelist Cesare Pavese once said, we don't remember days, we remember moments. There's a starman waiting in the sky He'd like to come and meet us But he thinks he'd blow our minds There's a starman waiting in the sky He's told us not to blow it Cause he knows it's all worthwhile He's home let the children lose it Let the children use it Let all the children do it Whenever I see something written about David Bowie, I want to write more. Whenever I hear one of his songs, I want to play more. And whenever I am reminded of his death, I want to remember more of his life. Because in that time and on this earth, Bowie made a difference. He's the story of my life. He's about growing up and working with people whose records I'd bought as a kid. He's about some wonderful memories and he is about some very special moments. My earliest recollections date back to February 1969. Uh, February the 21st, 1969, in fact. I remember it so, so well. I was a teenager and in my old hometown of Manchester in the north of England and took a train into the city with my girlfriend at the time to go to the Magic Village, one of the coolest places for bands to play and a regular haunt for us kids to congregate. That day, we arrived a little earlier than usual, and, as usual, she'd run out of cigarettes. I offered to pop down the street and buy her a pack. While she stood around waiting, this guy came over. We started talking, and he invited her inside for a drink. She smiled. No thanks, I'm with someone. The following day, we found out his name, David Bowie. He was due to appear with Tyrannosaurus Rex and had turned up at the Magic Village the night before with just an acoustic guitar. I remember the ticket so well. It said Tyrannosaurus Rex and Friends. And one of those friends was himself, David Bowie. That evening, he played an acoustic set to 30 people at the bar at the Magic Village. And I was not one of them. We were hungry and had gone down the road for a kebab. It started to rain. Now... If you don't know Manchester in England, it rains a lot, so think Seattle. We'd been stood out in the rain all day, so we decided to make an early night of it and take the train home. I may have missed out on that magical evening, but took some solace in knowing that she had turned down Bowie's advances for me. You know, still to this day, I wish that when I worked with him like 30 years later, I'd have reminded him of that moment and see if he'd have remembered it just the way I did. Over the years, and as a fan, I attended many of his shows and enjoyed each and every one. You never knew what to expect when Bowie came to town. He always would push the boundaries and create a live show that was very special. What made it even better was you could see how much Bowie and the band were enjoying themselves. Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars at the Hard Rock in Manchester in 1972 still remains as one of the best live shows I have ever seen. Now, I must emphasise, this was not the Hard Rock Cafe. When that book came out, 
My publisher managed to change it to Hard Rock Cafe, which infuriated me because it sounds like David Bowie played a burger bar in Manchester. Not the case. Sorry to digress. Back to the story of Bowie. After a few quiet years with just one hit, Space Oddity, he created the myth of an alien rock star and put on a show to match that fantasy. Before long, he was everywhere. The kids had started to dress up and wear makeup just like him and were fast becoming Ziggy caricatures. If you wanted to be in a band, you wanted to be him. Over the next couple of years, though, and much to his detriment, he became that alter ego, the very thing that he created. Fortunately for us all, he saw the damage that the drugs were doing to him and decided to do something about it. Ziggy was dead, but Bowie lived on. His career flourished as he propelled himself forward, constantly reinventing himself while remaining the creative chameleon to the mass of people who followed his every move. Fast forward to the 1990s. I'd been running my own public relations company, handling all the regional promotion for a number of well-known acts, one of whom was Bowie. Our job was to get radio play, but as he was not akin to doing any local interviews, I never really had the opportunity to meet him. All of that changed when one afternoon in the summer of 1997, I got a message from the outside organisation, Bowie's management company, to call them. Naturally, I assumed there was something wrong, but no inclination of what might be. Bowie was on tour, but as far as I was concerned, we were on top of everything. We were extending invites to the media and gathering whatever on-the-road promotions we could by way of getting local television to air his videos and promote the shows. I called them back and spoke to his PR lady, Roxy Mead. The first thing she said was, What are you doing tomorrow? We're not going to be able to cover the Bowie tour and we'd like you to do it. Can you meet me at the Manchester show at 4pm tomorrow? David likes to meet everybody he's going to be working with personally. I arrived at the Manchester show the next day. I must say, a tad nervous. I mean, let's face it, this was a serious moment that rocked. And to top it all, I had to curtail my serious excitement. I felt immense pride to be entrusted with the job of taking care of all of Bowie's on-the-road promotion. It was like being knighted. It was a privilege to be given such an opportunity. He was a perfectionist and I just wanted to be perfect. Of the memorable moments in my career, this was by far the best. I turned up at the hotel as planned and all the guys were very welcoming. They sat me down and ran through everything. It was such a well-honed machine, meticulous in the planning. We all would have walkie-talkies and would know at any given time where Bowie was so we could be aware of the next step's procedure. Even though you might expect this with a seasoned performer, it's not always the case and the bigger the production, the more there is that can go wrong. Bowie's team all had been with him for a considerable amount of time and professional and personable as they were, they were the perfect complement. They were like one big happy family and I was made to feel like the adopted child. I sat down with them and my duties were explained. I was to be responsible for coordinating all of Bowie's promotion on the road and liaising with both the record company and his management about everything so they could give the go-ahead in principle all prior to his final approval. Bowie always had a very hands-on approach and ultimately was the decision maker whenever it came to the media. 
He had learned very early on in his career that it worked best if he was on top of everything that was happening. But he never did it in a controlling way. He just allowed everyone the freedom to do their job, whether it was the band or the backroom staff. From the outside looking in, Bowie was a rock star. But when you get to work within the infrastructure, you get to see what separated him from the rest. He was gracious and charming, courageous and caring, and extremely humble. Another quality I noticed early on was his wonderful sense of humour. He always was smiling, cracking jokes, making everyone feel relaxed. He was a guy thoroughly enjoying what he was doing and making sure we all were too. Each day before the sound check, I would sit down with him and go over everything that was on the table with regard to promotion that day, and he would decide what he would and would not do. There were times he would ask my opinion, which made me feel very honoured. I also was in charge of recording station idents for a number of radio stations scattered around the world. This was not the most exciting part of his day, but he never uttered the slightest complaint. He was one of the easiest and most pleasurable artists I ever worked with. Another of my duties was to allocate all media passes for the show and be especially strict with regard to photographers. Each night they would be allowed into the pit at the front of the stage and permitted to shoot during the first three numbers. This was nothing unusual with major acts, as they saw it as intrusive for the paying audience if flashbulbs were going on throughout the entire set. This was one of the tour highlights for me. When the lights went down, Bowie would walk barefoot out onto the stage in a white linen shirt and white slacks with an acoustic guitar. A white spotlight would shine on him, and he would play a song off either Hunky Dory or Ziggy Stardust, and I would stand there looking up at him with my mouth wide open. I was being transported back in time to my teenage years. It was a had-to-be-there moment. When I heard the news of his death, all of those memories came flooding back like it was yesterday. There's nothing quite like music to take you back to a time and a place, and a person. And for a lot of us, David Bowie was that time, that place, and that person. I remember waking up at 4.30am on that January morning in 2016, turning on the TV and hearing the news that David had died. I burst into tears. I could not believe it. I got out of bed to make a cup of coffee and kept bumping into things. This could not be true. There must be some kind of mistake. I reached my cell phone and there were a mass of texts. My email inbox was full. The local paper, the Tampa Bay Times, had sent me an email asking for an interview. The local TV station wanted to send a reporter round to do the same. Radio stations in the UK, more interviews, more press, adding to more sorrow. It was overwhelming. I was in shock. I knew they had deadlines to meet, but could I just have some time to grieve? The TV people arrived and we did the interview, and I showed them the promotional video for Lazarus one of the last songs he recorded, where we see him orchestrating his own death. The room was silent. Everyone's eyes were welling up as they watched Transfixed. The 24 hours after his death were some of the saddest of my life. All the conversations I was having were about Bowie, 
news, on the radio, in the press, on television. And then, when you checked into social media, it was like a frenzy. The word we hear the most after his passing was disbelief. And I can believe that. We had lost an icon. We were in shock and we were all mourning. A realisation had hit us all. I reluctantly returned to Facebook to read the tributes and saw the most wonderful post. If you're sad today, just remember the world is over 4 billion years old and you somehow managed to exist at the same time as David Bowie. David Bowie really was the star man. He did come and meet me and he did blow my mind. Rock and roll is about heroes. And while we should never lose sight of that, there's a hidden component when the stories relate to real rock stars. The ones who change the world. As I mentioned earlier, my life changed incredibly when I got to work with the man himself. It was such an honour to work with arguably the most innovative artist of our generation, David Bowie. And while you may know his name, there's probably a whole lot more that you don't know. Listen to David Bowie talk now about his vision of his own self and his own career to a Canadian Broadcast Corporation. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, to be exact, taken from quite a few years ago. I'm pretty self-satisfied with my own um, individuality, distrusted in my own optimistic ideas of what I could do. I don't think I have to exert myself so much to um, uh, explain that I'm not part of rock and roll, I have my own identity, I'm not, I just use rock and roll and I had to be very exaggerated in the beginning to um, defy people to put me into a category so that that would leave me room to work in. Now Ziggy played guitar Jamming good with weird and gilly And the spiders from Mars I wanted, I wanted to define the archetype uh, Messiah rock star. That's all I wanted to do. And I used the trappings of kabuki theater, mime technique, um, fringe New York music, like uh, my references were Velvet Underground. So Ziggy was, for me, a very simplistic thing. It was what it seemed to be, an alien rock star. And uh, for performance value, I dressed him and acted him out. I left it at that, but other people reread him and contributed more information about Ziggy than I had put into him. I think basically because of the uh, that I'd put three viewpoints into the album from uh, three different areas. Maybe the the character himself would appear, and then there would be two other statements by two other people, all on one album which was kind of confusing. It was uh, the way an author would write a book. Yes. Rather, I mean, it hadn't been utilized that much in, in, in records. It was a theater piece that the spiders didn't really exist, that they only existed for the length, the duration of that character's life after I'd finished working with him, because people relate to him more than David Bowie at the time. It was still very hard for anybody to realize that a rock artist can go on stage. You don't have to be the same personality every time you go on stage. And that, mine was more exaggerated. Before I could start getting involved with characters or narrative again, I had to define a new form of musical language. There you have it, taken from an interview with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, the man himself talking about Ziggy Stardust and the vision he had uh, from the influences over the years that he put all together to the making of this 
alien rock star. Working with artists at times can be a little arduous, but working with David Bowie never felt like work. It was a dream, and it was the education of a lifetime. To say he was a man of many talents would be an understatement. As an innovator, a thought leader and visionary, there's plenty to talk about. But for today, we'll take a look at his role as a brand ambassador and the brand he managed himself. Having suffered the sad trait so many artists do, and after being left penniless in the 70s, he took on the role of effectively managing himself. But let's go back even further and to the 60s, when he spent six months with an advertising agency. Maybe a good apprenticeship at the time, who knows? But whatever happened, he went on to become the trendsetter and not the trend. He orchestrated every part of his career, even preparing a farewell for his fans right up until his death. As he fused art with fashion and music, he became a cultural icon and a role model to so many new and established artists. Out of all the artists I ever worked with, he was the genius, the man of many talents, constantly evolving and always embracing change. His first metamorphosis came in 1967, as his career had come to an abrupt halt. He'd released five singles, all of which had failed, and at the tender age of 20, he was on the verge of being a has-been. I know it's incredible, incredibly hard to believe. To make it worse, there was a new TV show about to start with what was then a fictitious band by the name of The Monkees. And, you guessed it, with a lead singer called Davy Jones. With the buzz that the show was creating, it became pretty apparent that he was about to be the other Davy Jones. So guess what? He liked the popular long knife used by Jim Bowie because it was sharp and cutting edge. That made sense. He was now David Bowie. And for that, we're grateful. By becoming David Bowie, both the band and the brand became interlocked. If he was to stand out from the rest, there could be no confusion. There couldn't be two Davy Jones. I often wonder if it was the other way round, and the monkey David Jones had been overshadowed by the now David Bowie, would he have changed his name? David Bowie always had the knack of seeing things differently. He didn't wait for trends to happen. He just orchestrated his career to do what he wanted, when he wanted. In his own words, he once said, I think if you're really going to entertain an audience, then you have to look the part too. Creating awareness and building a brand was there with him from the very beginning. Brands create awareness, and awareness creates interest. If something interested Bowie enough, he knew it might interest his audience. He didn't contrive to be cool. He couldn't help him. He didn't contrive to be idolised either, but his fans couldn't help idolising him. It was like an addiction. 
David Bowie's explosion into superstardom came in the early 70s when he created an androgynous alien rock star that was to become his alter ego, Ziggy Stardust. He went from a fledgling pop star with just one hit in 1969 that was Space Oddity to becoming the coolest kid in town. As a brand, albeit his own creation, he was to create a look that millions would emulate. Now in the 70s, this could have been seen as a little risque to say the least, but instead it sounded a bell for creative agencies to express themselves and open new doors to new ways of marketing. Bowie's creative energy pushed boundaries and encouraged people and organisations to push out a little more by banishing fear. It showed us all that stronger brands help steer culture by adding an adventure to a whole new concept. While Ziggy Stardust became the most iconic of his personas, he felt the time had come to kill it off at its prime and to move on. Who does that? Kill something off that gave you the success you'd been waiting for for so long? David Bowie, that's who. He'd already thought up his next incarnation. Aladdin Sane. A new brand and with it a new challenge. Could he emulate the same success? Who cares? Not Bowie. When he's made his decision, he runs with it. An artist with integrity. And this is how he rolls. The confidence Bowie exuded in taking those chances with the creating of his brands were a huge inspiration to a generation growing up hungry for excitement. He never saw it as anything other than what it was. A new challenge, and with that, a determination to make it work. No meetings with anyone to make a plan, set directives, timelines, budgets, etc., etc. More a precise observation of knowing who your audience is, grateful for their loyalty, and just setting out to please and on a consistent basis. As Bowie grew, so did his following. Each and every brand was welcomed, admittedly some more successful than others, but nevertheless his constant reinvention always left the excitement of what was next to come. From Ziggy Stardust to Aladdin Sane to the Thin White Duke and beyond, consistently evolving and always in control of both his brand and his career. In fact, in the creation of Ziggy Stardust, arguably his most successful brand, he inadvertently created a new additional brand, that of glam rock. Once again, Bowie, the creator. Where he leads, others follow. Glam rock took off, and he moved on. David Bowie saw the impact the internet was about to make a full decade before anyone in the music industry and used it to his own advantage. He had said to them previously that music is going to become like running water and electricity. And he warned them that it didn't matter if they weren't in favour of it, 
they won't be able to avoid it. That being said, he embraced the internet as he saw it as incredibly advantageous to his brand. It was viral and it was worldwide and the possibilities were endless. He was even quoted as saying, if I was 19 again, I'd bypass music and go right to the internet. Fortunately, he wasn't 19, otherwise we'd have missed out on decades of wonderful music. In 1994, he was the first major artist to initiate an online-only release of a new single exclusively available on the internet. It went on to accumulate over 300,000 downloads. And then three years later, he delivered a cybercast from Boston, which was so well attended, the bandwidth couldn't handle the unprecedented demand. And if that wasn't enough, the following year, he launched his own ISP, Internet Service Provider, Bowie.net, offering unfiltered access to the internet and your very own email address. I missed out. How cool would that have been? And in the year 2000, he extended his brand to an online bank, Bowie Bank, and complete with credit card. Another gem from the Bowie treasure chest, and yet another boost for his brand, came in the late 90s when he became the first artist to securitize royalty streams. Again, a first, and something no one had even considered. But how? Well, he sold $55 million worth of Bowie bonds, tied to future earnings from his hits. The Bowie bond issuance was the first instance of intellectual property rights securitization. A year later, that same idea helped Motown songwriters Holland Dozier Holland raised $30 million. The investment banker David Pullman, who brokered the deal, all of a sudden became the rock and roll investment banker and did quite nicely himself. It was this that allowed Bowie to maintain and sustain his brand throughout his career and beyond and to retain his legacy. So what about the message? Again, Bowie has roamed around, examining everything from life on Mars to pop art, sexuality, love, drug highs and lows, loneliness, ambition, superficiality, being weird, or simply the joy of dancing. And there isn't a simple theme that binds the Bowie brand neatly together. While Ziggy Stardust became the most iconic of his many personas, he killed it off. But over 40 years later, people still remember it. We all know Bowie as a rock star and a major influence on so many artists' careers. He paved the way for Prince, Madonna and Lady Gaga in letting them know that it was cool to be different and that your look and stage demeanour should match your musical talents. Peter Gabriel described him as a one-off, always exploring challenges and inspiring anyone who wanted to push the boundaries of music, art and fashion and never 
compromising his brand. And as great as his music was, he became a fashion icon with the outfits that he wore. His unique style and stage presence was a major influence in Tommy Hilfiger's rise. He is quoted as saying, he played an impactful role in inspiring me and my dream to design. Gucci was another. Bowie collaborated with artists and designers in the field of fashion, art and film. Alexander McQueen was relatively unknown until he worked with Bowie on an album sleeve creation. Jean-Paul Gaultier said he inspired him with his creativity, his extravagance and his sense of fashion, his constant reinvention, his allure and his elegance. This was all inspired by the Bowie brand. As the music industry waited for business to settle after the disruption of downloading and streaming and the ultimate decline of album sales, Bowie continued to move forward knowing that settling was just not going to happen. Again, he was right, but also protective of the industry's failings so as not to have an effect on his brand. Never one to let complacency set in, he was the pioneer, not the puppet. Bowie understood the power of subtlety, demonstrated in 2013, when without any fuss, he uploaded a video of his new single onto his website. It got downloaded through word of mouth alone to 119 countries. Brands can learn that to remain relevant and to keep the experience current, the one thing that must remain consistent is sense of self. And for David Bowie, that level of consistency was truly remarkable. Brand Bowie was an iconic and formidable example of experimentation, foresight, adaptation and metamorphosis. He showed us how rigid rules could be flexed and yet still return to a recognisable shape. This might not work for all companies and their brands, but we've learned from Bowie that ch-ch-changes can create a lasting legacy, a dynamic brand and loyal followers. If your audience likes your brand, then innovative and creative change can be paramount to the sustainment of that loyalty. Lose your audience and your brand is meaningless. You can create brands to look cool and you can create brands to last. And with Bowie, the cool and the brand will live forever. He is the forever change agent. For David Bowie, the risk and the reward went hand in hand. He may be gone, but it's impossible to be forgotten. He left us with those immortal words. I don't know where I'm going, but I promise you it won't be boring. There really is a star man with a star brand. He's waiting in the sky. He did come and see us. And he did blow our mind. There's a star man waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he can't.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.